ahead and dismiss our children this morning to Kids Church. And as we approach Easter, as we approach Resurrection Sunday, uh, I want to encourage everyone, uh, we've got about five, maybe six more weeks in the book of Matthew. And everyone said, Whew. <laughs> Amen. We've got about five or six more weeks uh, in the book of Matthew. Uh, that will put us right about the resurrection uh, for Easter Sunday. Uh, now you'll have to bear with me. That means we'll be talking about the crucifixion on Palm Sunday, but you know that's just uh, sometimes we have to do what we have to do, right? Uh, so we will be uh, about five or six more weeks in the book of Matthew, uh, and uh, we will, from the book of Matthew, we'll probably uh, head from the New Testament back to the Old Testament. Uh, so for those of you who've been uh, starving for some, some good Old Testament preaching, it's coming. Uh, so uh, for the rest of the population, the majority of the population, you're thinking, why are we going back to the Old Testament? Uh, but Matthew chapter 27 is where we'll be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew chapter 27. And as you are, uh, I do want to, uh, to put in context the reason our sanctuary looks the way that it does. Uh, we are not changing our decor. Uh, this is for Vacation Bible School. Uh, we have the privilege to uh, be uh, to have about uh, 90 to 100 uh, grade school age kids on this campus uh, every day, five days a week. Uh, and then we have about another 60 or so, 70 or so kids uh, at our junior high and high school campus. And next week, uh, we are going to be doing Vacation Bible School for all of those kids. Uh, we're going to be doing Vacation Bible School for the little kids. Uh, and then for the junior high and high school kids, we're going to be doing our spiritual emphasis week. Uh, where we will be preaching and teaching the gospel. Uh, and so be in prayer uh, this week for our students, be in prayer uh, for uh, our leaders, our teachers. Uh, and if you are off this week or if you have uh, some time to give and would love to come and volunteer or love to come and pour into the lives of these children, we would love to have you. We would love to be able to put you to work. Uh, Ms. Janae can find somewhere to put you to work. Uh, so this coming week, if you have... Uh, some time to give, we would love uh, to put you to work. Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 through 10. Now when morning had come, all of the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him up to Pilate, the governor. Then, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. And return the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. Saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. And they threw the pieces of silver into the sanctuary and departed. And he went away and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the pieces of silver and said, It is not lawful to put them into, temple, into the temple treasury since it is the price of blood. And they counseled together, and with the money bought, the potter's field as a burial place for strangers. For this reason, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, And they took thirty pieces of silver, the price of the one whose price had been set by the sons of Israel, 
And they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directs me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your glory. We thank you for Christ. Lord, we thank you that by your great grace and by your great mercy, Lord, you had ordained his death, his burial, and his resurrection before time began. Lord, as we look at the life and the death of Jesus, Lord, may we be able to extract biblical principles here. May we be able to see ourselves in Judas. And may, Father, may you find us repentant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of us have uttered the words, I'm sorry, before? Anybody? If you're married uh, and intend to stay married, uh, this should be the, the, uh, the first words out of your mouth. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I say, Natalie, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know why, but, but I'm sorry. And I, the words right before I go to sleep is, I'm sorry. Uh, I know that, that I've done things, uh, I'm going to continue to do things, uh, I'm just, I'm brain dead, and, and, and I'm sorry. Uh, if we have not uttered the words, I'm sorry, uh, then we probably need to begin speaking the words, I'm sorry. We've all said, I'm sorry. We've said, I'm sorry for, uh, for little things. We've said, I'm sorry. You, you step on someone's toes accidentally, you say, I'm sorry. Uh, you bump into somebody in the grocery store, you say, I'm sorry. Uh, you do things that, that hurt someone else, and the words that come out of our mouths ought to be, I'm sorry. I'm sorry carries with it this idea that, that I apologize for what I've done, and, and I certainly don't want to do it anymore. Well, today, we're going to be looking at Judas's sorry. We're going to be looking at Judas's apology, at Judas's remorse slash repentance. What what was he sorry for? What, what had taken place? What had gone on? And what was his response? Now, let's set the scene. Jesus has, this is Good Friday. This is at the very first of Good Friday morning. And so Jesus has spent all night, Thursday night. Remember on Thursday night, Jesus has his last supper with his disciples. He tells them, one of you will betray me. They they question, is it, is it me? Is he speaking of me? Because they each know the own, their own deceitfulness within their own heart. And then Judas leaves. He goes and he, he makes the arrangement. And then Thursday night, Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane. As Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, we have this, this moment where Jesus prays, Father, not my will, but your will be done. He comes back and he, he finds his disciples asleep. And he's just told them, you'll betray me. And they say, not I will never betray you. And then he finds them asleep three times he does this. And then after the third time, Jesus is confronted with about 800 to 1,000 mixture of Roman soldiers and Jewish authorities and Jewish leaders. Jesus is arrested in the middle of the night. Jesus is taken to the house at Annas. There's a mock trial before Annas, who is recognized by the Jewish leaders as the high priest. 
Then in order to acquiesce to the Roman authorities, Jesus is taken to Caiaphas. Jesus is condemned by both Annas and by Caiaphas. And here we have our story picks up in verse 1 of chapter 27. Now, verse 1 and 2 really fit better with the end of chapter 26. Because verse 1 and 2 are really the continuation of Jesus' trial before Annas and before Caiaphas. It was against the law, it was against Jewish law to hold trial at night, yet they did it anyway. So, at the first light, look at verse verse 1 of 27. Now when morning had come, now when morning had come, all of the chief priests and all of the elders of the people and the council against took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. So they had already presented Jesus before Annas. They had already presented Jesus before Caiaphas. They knew what they were going to do, but it was against the law to present Jesus before Annas and present Jesus before Caiaphas in the middle of the night, according to their own laws. And so the Sanhedrin said, look, just so we can avoid any lengthy appeal in the appellate court, just so this doesn't get hung up in in litigation, let us do this right. Let us cross all of our T's. Let us dot all of our eyes, and we're going to convene a council first thing in the morning so that no one can say this was an unlawful trial. So that's exactly what they do. First time the, the, the sun peeks over the horizon, they say, look, it just happens to be that all the Sanhedrin are right here. All of the governing officials of Jerusalem are right here. And so they, they, they put together this, this hodgepodge of a trial, and they confirm what Annas and Caiaphas had already decided. Now it's important for us to note that Jesus had been, at this point, he had been betrayed by Judas, he had been denied by Peter, and he had been abandoned by all of the other disciples, and he stands there alone. Let us look at verse 3. This is where the story changes, the theme changes. Verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. There are some who say that Judas simply betrayed Jesus or sold Jesus into the hands of the Jesus's messianic claims they said jesus was judas came to the realization that that jesus that jesus was taking too long that that if he that god had anointed him to be the messiah and that that it was taking too long so we're going to expedite things we're going to turn him over to the we're going to turn him over to the chief priest so that he is able to expedite his revolution so that he is able to to expedite jesus's his ascension to deity and to power because remember the jewish authorities believed that the messiah was going to be someone who would who would take over israel and who would throw off the bonds of rome and who would who would come into power as jesus is entering into jerusalem in the triumphal entry on palm sunday they're saying hosanna blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is he who is going to be our messiah was their claim blessed is he who's going to save us from our oppression And so there are those who say that Judas betrayed Jesus so that he would facilitate his 
ascension and his, his fulfillment of his messianic claims. If that were the case, if that were the case, and I don't think that it is, if that were the case, would Judas be upset that Jesus was condemned to death? No. Because that would be part of the plan. That he stands before these, these authorities, and if, if Judas believed him to be the Messiah, if Judas believed him to be the anointed one from God, would a condemnation of death in any way thwart his deity, or his ascension, or his, his, re, his realization of his Messiahship? No. In fact, this would be exactly what we wanted to happen. That he would be condemned to death, and he would be poised... To, to rise and, and, and ascend and fulfill his messianic purpose. But it's interesting that as the text reads in verse 3, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. In the midst of our sin, we rarely are able to see the end result. We are rarely able to see how this will play out in the weeks, in the months, and the years that are to come. Whenever Satan appeared in the form of a serpent before Adam and Eve and said, the moment you eat from this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will never die. The moment you eat from this tree, you will be just like God. That appealed to them. And they didn't think through to the, to the full repercussions and the consequences of their sins. I have a seven-year-old that absolutely abhors shoes. He thinks that shoes were a torture device developed in the Middle Ages and that, that, that by us forcing him to wear shoes, that we are just cruel, hateful, mean people. And, and, and why should he have to wear shoes? I mean, if I've got to put on shoes, that means I've got to stop playing. That means I've got to, I've, I've got to slow down for five, for five minutes and I've got to go find my shoes to begin with because who knows where they are. And then once I find my shoes, I've got to take the time to actually put them on my feet, and, and, and we're not even going to talk about socks, and, and put them on my feet, and then I've got to tie them, and then I've got to keep them on my feet. And it's so much easier to just run and go and do and play, and regardless of the fact that there are rocks and sticks and broken glass and, and all kinds of things outside that are going to cut up my feet, I just want to go play. In the midst of our disobedience, we rarely think through to the ultimate end, the ultimate consequence. The scripture tells us that Judas was not intent upon revealing Jesus' and fulfilling Jesus' messianic purpose. But the scripture tells us that at this point in Judas' life, that he was following Jesus for what gain he could receive. Go with me, if you will, to the book of John, chapter 12, and I want to illustrate this point to you. At this point in Judas's life, he was not following Jesus 
because he believed Jesus to be the Messiah necessarily. He was not following Jesus so that he could enter into his spiritual kingdom. But Judas wanted to follow Jesus for what he could gain. Look at verse 12, chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 4. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now he said this not because he was concerned about the poor. John gives us some insight into into Judas's heart. Not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. John gives us some insight into Judas's heart. Judas is not trying to to usher in Jesus' messiahship. Judas is not trying to fulfill Jesus' purpose. And since since Jesus has taken his own sweet time, we're going to help him out. Judas was seeking to follow Jesus as long as it would benefit him. And whenever it no longer benefited Judas, he said, well, I'm going to take things into my own hands. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And I'm not going to think about the eventual ramifications of my sin. I'm not going to think about the consequences down the road. Whenever we engage in disobedience and sinful behavior, we rarely think about how it's going to play out. We rarely think about what the eventual ramifications are going to be because sin carries with it a level of pleasure, does it not? If it didn't, it wouldn't be tempting. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, 25, and 26, we see the author of Hebrews giving us a picture into Moses' life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24, he says this. He says that by faith Moses, when he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But rather, verse 25 but rather choosing to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There is pleasure in sin. If there weren't pleasure in sin, we would not be drawn, we would not be enticed, we would not be tempted to indulge in sin. Proverbs says it like this in Proverbs chapter 7. It says in verse 19, For the man is not at home. He has gone on a long long journey. He has taken his money bag with him. And at full moon he will come. Verse 21 says, With her many persuasion she entices him. With sin entices us. It is enticing. It is delightful. And with her flattering lips she seduces him. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't full of thorns. It didn't have this gross appearance. The scripture tells us that it was pleasing to the eye and it was was good for food. But God said abstain. Sin has an element of pleasure associated with us, with it. And we must understand that, that while it has an element of pleasure with it, that that pleasure is fleeting, that it is, it is short-lived, and the end, the end result is death. Judas was unable to see the end result because he was consumed 
He was consumed with the pleasure of sin for a season. It's interesting that as we look at the text, go back to the book of Matthew chapter 27. I want us to see the text here. Matthew chapter 27. Judas sees the full repercussions of his actions. And the scripture tells us that he is remorseful. That he is remorseful. Look at what it says. When he saw that he had been condemned, he felt remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver. What's interesting is the Greek word used by the author here. There is a Greek word which means repent. And that word is metonai or metonoi. And it means to change the way we think. In John, in John chapter, I'm sorry, in uh, Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we see John the Baptist make this statement. He says, for the kingdom of, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, therefore repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word that is used there is the same word that Jesus uses in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, when he says, I am going to tell you the gospel. This is the gospel. Repent and believe. It's the same word there in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. The word there, metonai or metronoi, means to change the way we think, to change our thought process, to no longer think this way, to no longer act this way, but to reverse and to change the way we think. In Matthew chapter 27, the word that is used here where it says that Judas felt remorse is not metonai. It is not to repent. The Greek word that is used is metomelomai. And everybody said, oh, that makes sense. The diff- it's a different Greek word. Judas did not repent, did not have a heart change. He was sorry that his actions had caused the repercussions that they had caused. He was sorry that he had gotten caught. He he was sorry that things had played out the way that they have played out. How many of you have have ever done something to hurt someone and you've made this statement? You said, I'm sorry that you feel that way. I'm sorry that you're upset. Church, that is not an apology. That is not repentance. That is not sorrowful behavior. That is arrogance and pride saying, saying, I was right. I'm sorry that you're wrong. I am sorry that you haven't come around to realizing that I was right all along. I'm sorry that, that you're so sensitive and I'm sorry that, that you wear your feelings on your, on your sleeve that what I said hurt your feelings. Judas said, I'm sorry that this ended up the way that it ended up. This is not what I intended. He had concern for his actions. He did not have a change of heart or a change of thinking. Jesus commanded, in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, the essence of the gospel is, is to change the way that we think. When the woman that was caught in adultery was brought before Jesus, 
And all the Pharisees were there and all of the chief priests and all the elders and they were ready to stone her. Jesus said, go and sin no more. He said, change the way that you're doing things. Change the way that you're thinking. Change the way that you're acting. There is a turn. There's an about face. The essence of the gospel is to change the way that we think. That Jesus wasn't some some political military figure. That he he was a Messiah, the anointed one from God, who was going to come to fulfill God's spiritual kingdom. To change the way that we think. It's interesting. True repentance is not concerned with appearances. Jesus made the statement to Zacchaeus. He's entering into Jerusalem. He sees Zacchaeus up in the tree. He calls to Zacchaeus, come down. Zacchaeus comes down. Jesus said, I am going to enter into table fellowship with you today. I am going to come and I am going to enter into your house and I am going to be your friend. When Jesus said, I'm going to your house today, for us, all that is is Jesus is inviting himself over for dinner. Jesus is imposing upon Zacchaeus. And we look at that and we say, Jesus had some nerve. He just told Zacchaeus, hey, you better call your wife. She better have some chicken and dumplings in the fridge because I'm coming over. That is not what Jesus has said to Zacchaeus. When Jesus said, I'm going to your house today, Jesus communicated that I, righteous, holy, blameless, a a miracle worker, a a child, a a, a prophet of God, someone who who is inspired and filled by the Holy Spirit, I am going to associate with you. I am going to be your friend. I am going to demonstrate love, compassion, friendship. I am going to have table fellowship with you, which was the most intimate of a relationship in that world. When Jesus told Zacchaeus, you being a liar, a thief, a cheat, I am going to have intimate friendship with you. It blew Zacchaeus' mind. And it changed the way that he thought. And he said, he said, everything that I've stolen, all the wrong that I've done, I am going to write, and I'm going to pay back everything that I've stolen. I'm going to pay it back with interest, tenfold. He said, I'm going to change the way that I think and the way that I act because he experienced grace, mercy. True repentance is not concerned with appearances. Whenever Zacchaeus came down, he wasn't concerned what are people going to think. He wasn't concerned, well, well, what are they going to think whenever I show up at their door and I say, hey, you know, when I, you know when you paid your taxes last month, I actually ripped you off and I owe you all this money back. Zacchaeus wasn't concerned with what people think. What he was concerned about was getting his heart right before God. True repentance is not concerned about appearances. It's not concerned about facades. It's not concerned about how we're going to look. True repentance not only is not concerned about appearances, True repentance flees darkness. True repentance flees darkness and it runs to the light. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 3. Sin has its power in the darkness. Sin has its power in secrecy. Whenever no one knows what's going on, whenever no one knows, that's where sin has its power But when we repent, when we come into the light, when we turn, when we change the way we think, 
Not when we are sorry for our actions. Not when we're sorry because of the repercussions of our, of our behavior. Not when we're sorry because we're experiencing the consequences of our sin. But whenever we change the way that we think, we step into the light. John chapter 3, verse 19. And this is the judgment, that the light comes into the world And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21, but he who practices truth comes into the light, that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. Even his repentance wrought in God. It's interesting that whenever Judas repents, when he has this moment of remorse, look at verse 4. Verse 3, it says, He goes where? To the chief priests and to the elders. Verse 4, and he says, I have sinned and betrayed innocent blood. And we read that on its face value and we say, See, Judas is repentant. He said, I have sinned. And I have betrayed innocent blood. But who did he go to? He went to the wrong people. He didn't betray the elders. He didn't lie to the elders. He didn't lie to the Sanhedrin. He lied and betrayed God. And who does he not go to? God. He expresses his remorse to the wrong person. He should have been groveling at the feet of Jesus. He should have thrown himself at the feet of Christ and said, I have sinned against you and against you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Will you have mercy upon me? That's what David does. In Psalm 51, David takes in his his sin with Bathsheba and in one fell swoop, David breaks all ten of the Ten Commandments. He lies, he cheats, he steals, he commits murder, he commits adultery, he dishonors God. He makes makes sex an idol and elevates it above all things. He profanes the name of God by being the king of Israel, by being the leader of the people of God and making himself an idolater. He breaks all ten of the ten commandments in one fell swoop. And when he is confronted with his sin, we see his response in Psalm 51. We see his response in Psalm 51 whenever David is confronted with his sin. And look at what he says. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. According to the greatness of thy compassion, blot out all my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgression and my sin is before me. Against thee and thee alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are justified when you speak and you are blameless when you judge. Whenever David was confronted with his sin, he didn't say, Sorry you got your feelings hurt. Sorry I upset you. He said, My problem is not my behavior. My problem is my wicked heart. Later on in Psalm 51, we see David say, God, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Because he realized his problem wasn't his behavior. His problem was his heart. 
Judas goes to, the, goes to the Sanhedrin, and he wants to fix the problem. Do you see this? He goes and he says, hey guys, Jesus wasn't really, he wasn't really guilty. Here's the money I paid you back. Let me fix the consequences of my sin. And whenever we are remorseful, and whenever we are not repentant, we want to fix the consequences rather than changing the source. How do you know if you're repentant? Are you trying to fix the problems that your sinful behavior created? Or are you trying to fix the heart? Judas shows up at the Sanhedrin and he says, Hey, can we have a redo? Can we have a do-over? Because Jesus was innocent. Notice the response to the Sanhedrin. Matthew chapter 27. This is something that, that we miss in translation. Matthew chapter 27. The chief priests took the pieces of silver, verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. And they threw the pieces of, verse 4. <laughs> uh, he says, I have sinned, betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See to that yourself. That, that doesn't create, that doesn't communicate what they're saying. It's lost in translation. The colloquialism is this. That's your problem, dude. That's what the elders are saying. That's what the Sanhedrin is saying. He said, that's not my problem. That's your problem. You're the one who betrayed innocent blood. You're the one who sold us Jesus. You're the one who betrayed him. That's not my problem. That's your problem. Judas tries to fix the problem by addressing the symptom of his behavior, by addressing the actions that his behavior, the, the, the dominoes that his behavior created. Church sin carries with it consequences. And whenever we find ourselves repentant before God, we don't try and fix the problem, we try and fix the heart. Because our problem is not our behavior. Our problem is our sinful heart. Being unable to fix the problem, Judas is overwhelmed with grief and he hangs himself. Judas was unwilling to hear the message of hope. And maybe you're here this morning. And maybe you are experiencing the consequences of your own behavior. Maybe you're experiencing the consequences of sin. Maybe you're experiencing the consequences of addiction. Maybe you're experiencing the consequences of lies and a broken relationship. And you feel just like Judas did. I have screwed up royally. I have messed this thing up so bad and, and I, am, I am in a world of hurt and I don't know how to fix it. Church, God is in the business of taking that which is broken and making it beautiful. That's what He does. That's all He does is take that which is broken 
and make it beautiful. But let me encourage you with this. God does not want to change your your consequences. He does not want to change your, your circumstance. He wants to change you. He wants to change your heart. He doesn't want you to, to, to metolomei. He wants you to metanoi. He wants you to change the way you think. He doesn't want you to feel sorry or feel bad about what your behavior has caused. He wants you to realize that your behavior is a symptom of your wicked, deceitful heart. And until the heart changes, nothing else is going to change. Judas realized, Judas realized that his behavior had had led them down a road that he had never intended it to. But he didn't hear the message of hope that God takes that which is broken and he heals it. The Samaritan woman heard the message of hope. She was living in the midst of adultery. She had had husband after husband after husband after husband. And the man that she was living with was not her husband. She was a woman of adultery, a woman of lies, a woman of broken relationship. And whenever Jesus presented himself as the Messiah, the one who would change everything, she received the message of hope. Zacchaeus received the message of hope. A liar, a thief, a crook, a swindler. And whenever he received the message of hope, he ran to Jesus. Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 20 tells us this, that where sin abounds, grace abounds all that more. Look at verse 5, chapter 20. And the law came in that that transgression might increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded more. All the more. Isaiah chapter 1. God says to Isaiah, He says, Come, let us reason together. And then what are they reasoning? It says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. God wants to change the way that you think, church. He wants to change your heart. He wants there to be not a change in your behavior, a change in your heart. Because he knows that when your heart is changed, it will result in a change in behavior. Jeremiah says our sin is a a result of our sinful, deceitful heart. But he also says that God desires to take our sinful heart and replace it with one like His. The message of hope is that Jesus came, He lived a perfect life, and He died on a Roman cross. And He died to pay your sin and my sin. And His death paid for our sin. His burial assured that our sin would never be seen from again. And His resurrection assured that God would look upon His sacrifice and be satisfied. If this morning, if you need to repent, you need to change the way you think, you need to receive the message of hope, I want to invite you in just a few moments. Let's pray.